You're listening to Talcott from the Satori Lab, the podcast for people working to create excellent public services. I'm Ben Proctor. We've just published a report with Nesta looking at open data and arts and culture listings. I sat down with Esko Ranakainen from the Satori Lab and Rob Ashelford from Nesta to talk about how the project came about and how, what they hope it will achieve. I started off by asking them to introduce themselves. Uh, my name's Rob Ashelford. I'm the co-lead and head of ERLAB, which is a public service innovation lab based in Cardiff. So we, we run innovation projects right across Wales. What is the connection between ERLAB and Nesta? Because you... you so, uh, yeah, good question. Um, ERLAB's a partnership between Cardiff University and Nesta. So there are currently four Nesta employees based uh, up at the university working with a team of eight uh, academics and professional service staff. And what we do is build projects that um, bring the, the the qualities of both those two organisations together. So um, balancing academic rigour and uh, kind of subject expertise with the innovation expertise and grant making and programme making expertise that Nesta has as well. Okay. And uh, a recent podcast, if you listen, as I'm sure, as I'm sure most people do, if you listen to the season of podcasts, you will have heard ESCO performing this role, but we better get he's, he's going to be a participant in this podcast, so we better get him to introduce himself. Uh, hello, I'm Esco. I'm the co-founder, one of the co-founders of the Satori Lab. Um, I'm genuinely interested in most things that are about improving public services, and I've been uh, somewhat of an open data activist for coming on 10 years now, so I guess that's the capacity in which you're interested to hear from me today. Okay, uh, and let's ask Rob to just give us a couple of minutes introduction about where did this project come from? Um, what's the history? Sure. Uh, it's, so this has been gestating with me for at least four years, and there are some people who will tell you that I've been banging on about this for probably quite a lot longer to them. But basically, I'm really interested in the idea that listings data so the the data that we use that's generated by arts and cultural organizations that helps us to make decisions about what we go and see the the galleries that we might go and visit the the plays we might go and see the gigs that we might go uh, and enjoy all of that data is currently held in a way that is not open to people to do interesting things with you know it's tied up in organizations and in formats that aren't particularly useful and this has really frustrated me because uh, in the role that I have I get to see all of the different and really interesting ways that people use loads of different types of data to make people's lives better to uh, allow them to do new and interesting things and for me listings data in the arts is kind of the one thing that um, has the potential to, to do a similar sort of thing um it kind of goes back for me to uh, part of the job that I used to have. So I used to be a producer at, or associate producer at uh, Wales Millennium Centre, which is the National Performing Arts Centre for Wales. And one of my jobs there was to programme uh, a stage in the foyer. So we used to put on free performances. It was one of the largest free performance programmes in the UK, anywhere up to about 400 performances a year. And as part of my job, I used to have to write all the data out for the listings. And as you can imagine, that's pretty dull. And they used to disappear into spreadsheets and then you know, they might get sent to some uh, to some, some uh, listings providers, so you know, the press 
different websites, things like that. Uh, and it's always kind of rankled with me that, you know, we can do something more interesting with it. What, is, what do we mean by listings data? And then what is open data got to do with arts and culture listings? Okay, so I'm going to take those questions in reverse order. Um, open data is uh, data that anyone can access, use, and share. So that's our basic definition of what we mean. And when we're talking about listings data, we're talking about the information that um, people need in order to make a decision as to whether they're going to participate or get tickets in some kind of cultural activity. And so if we marry the two together, we're talking about all of the bits of information that um, uh, artists and producers might put out into the world um, so that people can make decisions about participating uh, or attending events and doing it in such a way that anybody else could access, use, or share that information um, for a variety of purposes. So, for example, you might have a third party that wants to access the event's information and then put it in some kind of an application or website or service that makes it easier for participants to make decisions about whether they're going to you know, attend an event or something like that. Rob, uh, do you want to just briefly describe what we actually did? <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. We, um, so I'm, I'm going to just take it back a little step before, before that, because I think it's useful to have some context about why we did what we did. Um, my view up until the point that we started working together was always um, that we needed to find a way to get all of the data, all of the systems data into one place that we could then open up. So basically, is there, was there a way that we could take all of the listings that anyone anywhere produced about uh, kind of arts and cultural events and stick it in one big box that was then called the open data box uh, of arts and cultural listings? You know, I, I felt that that would be the right solution to what I understood the problem to be. And I think what was great, and this is probably the thing I've taken most from, from doing this work, what I what you've, what you've done really well is to say, well, hang on a minute. That might be the solution, but do you definitely know what the problem is? What we ended up doing was a, a piece of discovery work to say, well, we've got this starting point, which is there's a problem with the way that the arts sector uses their listings data. We think we know that they're, what the solution might be, but there's this messy gap in the middle, which is where all of that could fall apart and go wrong and so we need to understand as much as we can about that kind of messy gap to know that we're starting in the right place and we're trying to get to the right destination that discovery process um has been um it's just been really fun it's been really good fun to kind of sit down and go okay so you know who else who else has got an opinion about this who's tried it who's doing stuff in this space already um, you know, uh, are there people who recognize the problem as you describe it? Um, if we go and say this to an arts organization, they're going to go, yeah, it's a problem, but there's a much, much bigger, way more interesting problem over here that's actually the thing we really need to focus on. The idea of doing a discovery in order to fill in the gaps in our knowledge rather than just proceed in a very expensive way on some um, casual assumptions uh, was really the right way to go. Uh, for me, the first big insight was uh, in this, looking at this particular context, you have uh, a very useful division between the data producers and the data consumers. 
So on the one hand, you've got cultural institutions and artists that create artistic product, and then the listings information, which is um, for our listeners' benefit, what is this thing called? Um, is there a description of it? Is it a performance? Uh, where is it happening? What time is it going on? Where can I get some tickets? Those are the relevant bits of data in, in listings. So on one side, you've got the data producers that are creating content, which then generates associated events listing data. And on the other side, you've got this block called the data users. Um, and that that block, probably it's useful to define uh, further subdivide into two, which is the ultimate end user, the punter who may or may not buy a ticket for this particular event, but then also this uh, kind of group of people who might be intermediaries. So they'll consume raw events data from the cultural institutions and then do something useful with it in order to make it more digestible to the end user. And for me, the big big penny drop moment in the discovery was kind of looking at this left and right hand side of the screen and understanding a little bit more that some of the uh, needs that we had assumed up front actually are quite different whether you're a producer or whether you're a consumer uh, data user side. And what about you Rob? So the, the, the kind of key discovery thing that, that came out of this for me was the idea that there's a, dem there's a kind of democratic deficit in the arts around this at the moment. So it's kind of a, an aside from the technicalities of the data and the way that you might make this idea happen. But this idea that, um, you know, you, if you are a small community-led arts organisation, you currently cannot compete with the larger, more established, well-funded, well-resourced for the arts organizations in terms of getting your your message and your events out there it was that kind of democratic deficit that really has stayed with me i think um, i wasn't expecting to find that i wasn't i was expecting this to be a very technical exercise you know a, a real you know, you know data and software were the things i thought we were going to be looking at and it's the other thing that's that's kind of really stayed with me that makes me think that there's something that we still need to to do here like something still needs to happen we still need to overcome that democratic deficit in some way um and a lot of the discovery was kind of finding things that did that sort of thing to me where you kind of go yeah there is a problem here but like i haven't i haven't been making the problem up was the kind of first validating thing you know, other people recognize this problem but the way that I conceive the problem is uh, is kind of quite closed. Um, you know, there are other ways to, to conceive the problem. Um, the idea that if we want to find a technical solution that's making use of the existing technology that organizations use, that that is going to be an entirely demand-driven process was an interesting discovery. So, you know, if you if we want the people who provide ticketing software to arts organizations to get involved in this, then we're going to need the people who buy the ticketing software to tell them to build it. You know, it's, it was stuff like that coming out. I kind of go, yeah, okay. There's, there's a lot more nuance to this. There's a lot more depth to this than it just being about data and listings about websites and APIs about any of that sort of stuff. Is 
inserting the open data idea and principles into the cultural world. Um, actually, the the thing that's going to resolve that deficit or are there other things that we need to do in order to shape the landscape before we can extract the main benefits from uh, open data events listings? I think it's one of the things that, that needs to happen. It's not the thing. I don't think there is a silver bullet. That I, would, I think anyone who suggests that there is is um, mistaken. Um, you know, it's a combination of all sorts of things. It's we, you know, we've seen a little bit of the democratization of funding with things like crowdfunding, but we also know that crowdfunding is one of the hardest ways to raise money, um, especially if you're a small, under-resourced organization. Um, I think it's going to be a combination of those sorts of tools that really starts to allow the grassroots to flourish and compete in a way that is in some way equitable or as equitable as it ever will be. You know, there's always going to be big organizations with resource. Yeah. And if Ben will allow me one follow-up um, uh, further I than... I don't know why I'm here at all. You just, <laughs> just take over. You just do whatever you want to do. Um, when, my other kind of big takeaway, apart from this duality between uh, having clear sight of the data producer and the data user side and understanding the different channels of interplay between them, is that uh, we did track this other experience the open active project from the world of sport and i think what became very clear as different to the initial discussions about what it would take to introduce open data into the cultural world is that it's going to take a significant amount of time i.e uh, we, we should be thinking in terms of like at least three year time scales if not beyond and it's also going to take a significant amount of resource i think we're talking millions rather than tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds um, and as we see the landscape now it's not really obvious um, you've just mentioned crowdfunding there well uh, crowdfunding is probably useful part of the component but it's nowhere near going to achieve the kind of resources needed before a future in which um, uh, open data is, is kind of like a normalized thing within the cultural events listing world but I do think that what the last thing that became clear to me is that if you look in other industries and other domains, the rise of data infrastructure and data practice coming in later, later it, it is an inevitable trend of progress that at some point in the future, there will be such a thing as open data, cultural and events listings. Um, there is a long and not insignificant journey to get there. Somebody needs to stimulate that kind of activity and then it depends on how fast or how laggard the cultural sector is to getting to this ultimately inevitable destination and whether in fact the UK is the place where that's going to happen or whether there's some other kind of geographies in which they're maybe more primed in terms of data infrastructure and data literacy uh, to get there. I think there's an interesting thing though um about the UK. So I think the thing that we've not seen with, with with data generally in the arts is the kind of bottom-up groundswell that it probably needs. So there are big data infrastructure projects for the arts. If you look at the um, the fairly recently released map of cultural assets that the that, that London have produced, you know, you've got this all of a sudden you've got this suite of all the things that allow you to do arts and culture. 
but it's useless to pretty much everybody because it doesn't tell you how. It doesn't give the information about you know, how do you engage with this thing? You know, what's happening in that space? What can you use it for? Who runs it? All of that sort of stuff is missing. It's it's kind of you know it's it's asset based, and that's great, and it's absolutely brilliant that we're able to identify that this is where culture can happen. And again, similarly, that's quite a staid version of what culture is too, but it's very top down. You know, it's being done to the sector, not with or by. And I think that's something else that needs to happen. There needs to be a, a much greater um, bottom-up um, demand for the use of data to be much, much kind of more heavily baked into the way that the sector runs. Um, so I was also involved in this project. I'm going to, since ESCO has been quizzing you, I'm going to act like a participant. Um, and I have no background in arts and culture at all, so I am just a data geek. But uh, I live just outside Wales on the border, and we have a fantastic film festival here every year called Borderlines, which is um, bringing uh, all the films that you would normally only see in London to village halls and all sorts of interesting venues up and down Herefordshire, Shropshire, and Mid Wales. And it's a nightmare when, it, when the programme comes out because you have to work out what you want to go and see and then how, where it is and the travel time and like you're talking about a 100-mile journey, potentially. Um, and one thing that I found here was the Edinburgh Festival's API. So Edinburgh Festivals don't do open data at all, but they do have all of their listings data is available to people who sign an agreement with them on an API. One of the tools that a third party has built is a programming tool for Edinburgh Festivals because they have a similar problem. It's not quite the 100 miles, but there's, low, there's just all the stuff going on and different places, different venues, travel times. And, and so I, I, my big takeaway is actually less about the open aspect and more about the data infrastructure. And I think with, there are examples where we can show people that wouldn't you like Ben to be able to plan his film festival uh, two weeks much more easily? Well, yes, I would. Well, actually, all you need to do potentially is publish your data in the same way that Edinburgh festivals do, and maybe someone will repurpose their app just for and 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 that's the thing that got me really excited was the this idea of the data infrastructure rather and the fact that there are examples out there rather than the openness of the data per se yeah one thing that was uh really poignant in one of the workshops that we did so we did these you know discovery workshops with range of stakeholders and um it was that it, it's fair to say uh, or safe to say that a lot of the people in the cultural world haven't particularly been interested in, you know, what is this whole open data thing. Um, so establishing definitions up front was uh, necessary. But then very quickly, once you described what a healthy and established uh, open data infrastructure would look like uh, people very quickly started going into this mental space of thinking oh if we had that what are the other things that we could do with it um, and that came into sharp relief when people started talking about oh if we had uh, the events listing in open data then for example these interesting new areas like social prescribing uh, would become a lot easier because you could see a doctor's surgery having access via some widget and api um, to 
some little form on their system in which they could send their patient over to um, a yoga class or uh, arts and craft activity or circus school or um, what have you. Um, and uh, that experience shows that the imagination can be like uh, lit up really easily, but none of that stuff is possible until you have the infrastructure. So this kind of boring fixing the plumbing stuff has to happen before. We can right now excite people about the possibilities of what you can do once that's there, but nobody currently sees it as in their interests to play a role in building that infrastructure that's needed. So nobody's going to argue with having running water in the house, but most people aren't interested in laying pipes underground in order to make that happen. And that's currently, I think, where the, the challenge is. Some, some of us have to do the infrastructure building before these kind of exciting possibilities are going to be within reach for the people who I think can be easily motivated to go for. Okay, good. Where is the basal jet of uh, arts and culture data? Um, so, when we're recording this, we have nearly finished, but not quite finished the report. But when you're listening to this, we will have finished the report and presumably published it. So, you'll be able to go and read in much more detail all the stuff we're talking about. And there are some recommendations that we put in there for the arts and culture sector, for listings publishers, for policymakers. Um, and then I guess we have to ask Rob, what happens next? Uh... Uh, hopefully this sparks a conversation. I think that that's the, I think that's, that's going to be the, the best possible outcome. Really. I think ESCO's absolutely nailed it with the conversation about infrastructure or the, the kind of statements about infrastructure. We've got to have a conversation about data infrastructure in the arts. That's, that's, that's got to be what happens next. We've got to understand whether this is something we want to not even fix, whether this is something we want to build or not. Because if it's not, that's you know disappointing, but fine. At least we've talked about it and made a conscious decision. At the moment, I don't think there's been a conscious decision that you know we should or shouldn't do this, other than you know some interested individuals who've who've had a bit of a go and they've done some really. Like, I think as you were saying by, by kind of highlighting what they've done in Edinburgh, had a really good go. Really demonstrates what can happen if you put the effort into building the infrastructure. Um, and you know that's a conversation that we would love to be a part of it's not a conversation that Nesta as an organization can necessarily lead because I think if we lead it it becomes top down again and it needs to come from the arts it needs to come from artists and organizations um, who have some passion to actually change the way that this works and I also think that we can we need to make a pretty strong send a pretty strong signal also to um, um, levels like at the government or the the sponsored bodies um, uh, that deal with cultural issues because uh, if you think in government terms um, this I guess kind of falls into the whole digital transformation agenda and building the infrastructure fit for the future um, but there's currently a lot more sexy conversations out there that are not considering the arts saying that we need to build infrastructure over here or 5g networks or low power uh, networks so that we can have iot stuff and uh, that's maybe missing a trick or it's not a full spectrum discussion about the data infrastructure we need and on that level i think bodies like the arts councils and stuff actually needs to grow up a little bit and understand that 
they have a role to play in this discussion and this debate and in their lobbying up to government because if they don't take a basic interest, we're not saying that it's on them to build this, but if they don't understand the basics and they don't make the arguments to government saying, if we don't build up the digital infrastructure of the cultural world, then we're going to get left behind. So we can help them to understand the basic issues, but they have to assume the responsibility also to say, okay, part of this is on us and where we're well placed to make the necessary arguments or investments, we have a role to play in this. Everybody's got a small role to play. And unless there's some coordination in that uh, it might take quite a long time to get where we think we can go. Okay, the uh, the report is out. If you look in the uh, show notes uh, for this podcast, you'll see a link to the report. Moving on from the art stuff, if you're what's what's next for Alab? So we've got some really interesting stuff um, coming up. We uh, we've just launched a new program with uh, Arts Council of Wales, which is all about arts and health. So. Um, kind of borrowing from a lot of what we've learned from doing this where we've, we've changed and adapted the way that we design our program so we're, we're currently exploring the question of how the arts can play a more prominent role in the health and well-being of the people of wales so we're, we're doing some explorations around that at the moment to understand the, the space there a bit more uh, to see where we need some innovation that can actually help us to get to that point where people are accessing arts and creative activities for their, their health and well-being um, and to understand how we make that a much more sustainable and impactful um, activity as well. Okay, that's very good. Uh, all three of us, I know, could bang on about this for hours yet, um, but uh, we try and keep these podcasts reasonably punchy, so I'm going to draw things to a, a halt. I'd like to say thank you very much to Rob and Esco for taking part, and now if we could all say goodbye. 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 Bye. Goodbye. You have been listening to Telcut from the Satori Lab. In this edition, Esko Reinerkainen from the Satori Lab and Rob Ashelford from Nesta were talking to me, Ben Proctor, about our report, Could Open Data Help Arts and Culture Listings? To find out more about the project, visit thesatorilab.com slash openculture. You can follow Rob Ashelford on Twitter. He's at Rob Ashelford. Esko is on Twitter too. He's at Reinerkainen. To find out more about our lab, visit alab.wales, that's Y-L-A-B dot Wales. Music was Render by Prism, used under a Creative Commons license. A big thank you to everybody who shares their work under open licenses. We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast, open data, public services, or anything else. You can talk to us on Twitter, at The Satori Lab, or visit thesatorilab.com to see all of the many, many ways there are of getting in touch with us. <laughs>